What bird has the most elaborate, the most complex, and the most beautiful song in the world? Well, I guess there are lots of contenders, but this bird must be one of them. The superb lyrebird of South Australia. He clears a space in the forest to serve as his concert platform. To persuade females to come close and admire his plumes, he sings the most complex song he can manage. And he does that by copying the songs of all the other birds he hears around him, such as the kookaburra. It's a very convincing impersonation. He can imitate the calls of at least 20 different species. And now, the sounds of foresters and their chainsaws working nearby. Episode number 269 of Blast Points is Jason. And it's Gabe. This is the most important episode we've ever done. It, it might be. <laughs> it really might be. There's no creature more mysterious on and off screen than the legend, the riddles surrounding the crate dragon are intense. Because so, I think this episode had... A very normal Genesis where it's like, hey, let's do an episode about the crate dragon sounds. That'd be cool. And then we start doing research. And literally this this past week, it really two weeks, because we didn't have a new episode last week. I felt like Kevin Costner and JFK. <laughs> it's a riddle wrapped inside an enigma going deeper and deeper into this hole of crate dragon insanity. <laughs> the more you think you know, the less you really know. And you just got to keep digging to a bottomless pit. Kind of like Kevin Costner and JFK, I had like a Donald Sutherland moment too, where somebody, an official person, sits you down on a park bench. And, <laughs> all right, here's 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 the facts. Here's here's all I can tell you about your enigma. Because seriously, the sounds, it's a mystery. The bones, it's a mystery. The bo- the bones and the sounds, and where the whole crate dragon thing kind of came from, because we all know the crate dragon. Like you say, crate dragon to anyone, and they're like, oh yeah. 
Of course. And when it showed up in Mandalorian last year, it's like, oh, yeah, the Kray Dragon. We know it. We love it. But how do you know it? And where did this knowledge come from? You could almost say it's like the original thing in the background that has nothing to do with the movie that kind of got a life of its own. Because I think it's the first thing in the background you see in the movie that is just there and your mind wanders. Because before this, you know, you're in space, you see the Star Destroyer, you see the Blockade Runner, you see Darth Vader, you kind of see stuff. But everything, I think, up until this point, it's kind of like it makes sense what you're seeing. And then you're all of a sudden you see droids in the desert. And behind C-3PO, you see just a big pile of bones. And he doesn't even comment on the bones. There's just giant bones in the background. And I'm even trying to remember in Pan and Scan, could you even see all of the bones? Like you could just see like some of the bones. <laughs> Like, can you even, could you even see the head in the pan and scan version? <laughs> and that brings up a bigger question, too. Are there, are there still pan and scan people out there? It's like, I don't like those black bars on the top of the bottom. I prefer my Star Wars to fill the entire screen. I'm kind of mad watching them on Disney+. Plus. I, but now if you watch the old ones, you have black bars on the right and the left. <laughs> so you can't win at this point if you don't want the black bars. Can you remember when the crate Dragon... The name Crate Dragon even first came on your radar because that's probably the first thing yeah, we gotta get into that's like I I can't. It's just like something I feel like you've we've always known. Yeah, it's like the Vader fell into lava or one of those things that some time when I was a small child, someone like at school or a friend's older brother's cousin came over and was like, that's a great dragon or something. And it was just something that you knew, but you didn't know, but everybody knew it. <laughs> Cause like when we met, we could, we were talking about crate dragons and we knew what it was. It wasn't like, so it's just like, yeah, of course. Yeah. It was never like, wait, wait, what are you talking about? Where'd you, where'd you get this knowledge? Do you play the role-playing game or something? Is that how you know this stuff? It's one of those Star Wars things. It's not said on screen at all, ever. I think not until The Mandalorian. And that was the big thing until The Mandalorian. I called it like the Cryat Dragon because I thought that was the way it was pronounced. I didn't know. But everybody knows what it is. But was the bones always cons- like classified as a crate Dragon? We know Kenobi's yell is a crate Dragon call. How do we know that? Okay, good question. (laughs) The first time that it was in print is in the Alan Dean Foster novelization, where on page 72, there's the quote, That's a great dragon call. Luke gasped in astonishment. How'd you do that? And Obi-Wan says, I'll show you sometime, son. It's not too hard. Just takes the right attitude, a set of well-used vocal cords, and a lot of wind. <laughs> that was in the novelization. Okay, well, where did Alan Dean Foster come up with that word, Crate Dragon? Did he come up with the name? Was it a Lucas thing? I have no idea. I don't think anyone knows. I don't even think George Lucas or Alan Dean Foster would know. Unless there is a notebook page somewhere in George Lucas's pile of stuff with the word crate scribbled in it. But maybe he's just talking about a crate full of stuff. 
I need a crate. I need a crate full of gumballs. Get her ASAP. Maybe you wanted a whole crate full of dragons. It's said by name in the radio drama, too. What made the sand people leave? I imitated the hunting cry of a crate dragon. Their imaginations did the rest and they took to their heels. But I feel like the first time, as far as I can tell, that the bones were specifically called crate dragon bones. I don't know. And if anyone wants to prove that this happened otherwise, please do. But around the same time in 1996, there was the West End role-playing game and the custom card game thing where there was a card with 3PO in the desert, and it's specifically called the Bones Crate Dragon Bones. Yeah, it's one of those things that just gets your mind reeling because it probably was just, well, there's bones there. It looks like maybe it's a dragon. Obi-Wan makes a crazy sound. Like, it makes sense after the fact, so it seems like it was always the case. But I guess if you go back to what they did to get the bones, right? Wasn't it just like, we just need some bones <laughs> to, to fill out the frame? So it wasn't like in the script it said 3PO trips over a crate dragon bones or something. Yeah, so the bones themselves were in England. They were used in a Disney movie called One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing, which if you go back and watch the trailer, hasn't really held up too well, to say the least. We shall steal dinosaur. It's alive! One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing. Walt Disney Productions' zany motion picture spy spoof. A daring dinosaur robbery right before your very eyes. Inscrutable Peter Ustinov yes, and Helen Hayes meet the challenge to solve this laughter-ridden missing dinosaur mystery. Walt Disney Productions, one of our dinosaurs is missing. Rated G. But the bones were like repainted, sent to Tunisia where they filmed that scene. But I'm sure it was just totally like they were there at the studio and George Lucas was like, we can put that in the desert, be cool, small old dinosaur thing. Probably never putting it together that, yeah, the the bones and the, the call in the desert are the same creature. It's probably just a totally random thing, like so many Star Wars things that this whole kind of legend and stuff has built around. And we didn't even see like a living version of the Crate Dragon until the amazing Galactic Battlegrounds game, which was released in 2001. Yeah, and what's interesting is 2001 then was the year of the Crate Dragon because Galactic Battlegrounds has Crate Dragons and also Tara Whitlatch's Incredible The Wildlife of Star Wars, A Field Guide, came out in 2001 as well. And that, I think, is almost like the real first more or less official looking crate dragon because the one in battlegrounds literally kind of looks like an alligator dragon and you know the one in the wildlife of star wars book because it was designed by tara whitletch you know kind of looks like the creatures you saw in naboo it kind of has that new star wars creature look that 
ultimately kind of got carried over as the basis for the Mandalorian. So really our first real in movie TV show on screen version is really kind of has its roots in this wildlife book from 2001, even though maybe battlegrounds had one first, you know, among the other wonderful things in this book, just the crate dragon page kind of, you know, it has little drawings of, of Tuscans fighting crate dragons. It shows a crate dragon eating sarlaccs it shows them kind of digging into the sand it's like a lot of what we saw in the mandalorian is sketched in this book from all these years ago yeah so it's like all of this the legend of the crate dragon is just growing and growing and growing and just becoming part of everything star wars that we know yeah like we said by the time it shows up in mando oh yeah crate dragon cool kind of what i imagined as soon as you figured out what was going on, it was like, well, okay, they're on Tatooine. Okay, yeah, why not? It's maybe the biggest or one of the biggest Star Wars things that had never been in a movie. And like we said earlier, like everyone knows what a crate dragon is. Everyone talks about them. Of course, it's the crate dragon skeleton in A New Hope. Duh. But we, yeah, we've never seen one in a movie. Meanwhile, in Legends... There was a whole bunch of crate dragon stuff going on. There was they in Legends they tried to explain why the bones behind 3PO in the desert were kind of small and there were two different kinds of crate dragon. There's a canyon crate dragon that was smaller, sometimes red. There's a greater crate dragon which is kind of basically what what we saw in The Mandalorian and the whole concept of crate dragon pearls is introduced which I believe first comes out in the, the short story Skin Deep, The Fat Dancer's Tale from, <laughs> by A.C. Crispin in the Tales from Jabba's Palace book in 1996. It's wild to like, look back on like, the whole like, Crate Dragon Pearls thing, too, and how, just how long that's been around and how it's exactly what happened in The Mandalorian. Like It's like Tusken Raiders. It's a very rare thing, and it's like in the belly of a of a crate dragon and to get it you have to get into the belly which is next to impossible and it's like reading all this you're like mandalorian is insane (laughs) it is the the fact that yeah they were able to cram all of that into a one hour episode and have it be as exciting and fun to watch as it was and still like check off all the boxes of the people watching at home we're like oh it's crate dragon i bet you they won't have the pearl and sure enough there it was when in 95, there's the amazing Illustrated Star Wars Universe book, which we talk about all the time. And there's like two whole pages of just Crate Dragon talk with a wild Ralph McQuarrie painting of a Crate Dragon facing off against two Tusken Raiders. It's talking about, you know, the, hearing the mating cry and how it terrifies Tuskens and just all the same old stuff. And all of that is amazing and fascinating and crazy you know, it's which came first, the chicken or the egg, which came first, the the bones or the yell. But that, but that kind of brings us to a massive crate mystery, the sounds. If the crate dragon never made a sound, it still would be a huge Star Wars mystery. And one of those moments of like Star Wars folklore where just everyone knows about this thing that is never really in the movies 
but the fact that it has sounds that go with it and the fact that not only did we never see a live crate dragon in any of the original movies, we never actually heard a live crate dragon in any of the original movies. We only heard Obi-Wan's impersonation of a crate dragon that as far as we know was just a something he picked up with his time on Tatooine. I don't know before that when he was still a Jedi, if, if he did impersonations of, of other Jedi or other creatures, we never saw that in the movie. So, you know, maybe that was just his thing, but we've heard a lot of crate dragon sounds over the years. Let's begin with the beginning. Let's begin in 1977 with the original, as far as we know, theatrical crate dragon sound. We all know it. We all love it. It's it's the greatest hits. It's golden oldie. What's the story with the original crate dragon sound? So, like a lot of things in the original film, there are moments and bits and pieces where George Lucas was not happy with the finished result. I know, I don't believe it either, but I hear I hear it's a thing. And one of them was this sound. It sounds like it was late in the game. They had to finish this scene. Ben Burt didn't have anything or have time to get something. So they were forced to go into the studio libraries and just find a sound. According to Rinsler's Sounds of Star Wars book, Ben Burt says the original Obi-Wan Howell had come from Sam Shaw's Edit Right Library. And Ben goes to say, I was a little unhappy about it, but I couldn't come up with anything at the time. It was one of those things on George's list of someday we'll do it better. And he says it's probably an elephant bellow, which was used for dinosaur sounds in a lot of movies. But what's great, if you think about that, is it's a stock library sound of dinosaurs, which is the sound for some stock library bones that they repainted and throw in the desert. So there's kind of an unintentional perfection to the original sound and the original bones, even though as far as we know, they weren't originally intended to go together. Now let's listen to it again. And this is wild. Listen to it again here and think elephant. Isn't that crazy? That's all you can hear. Well, and this is one of those things, and I understand Ben Burton, George Lucas not liking it, but I also understand, you know, fans don't want things to change. But even as a kid watching the movie and all the years after watching the movie until 2004, this sound, that whole scene always kind of confused me. And I think it confused me in the ways that it bugged George Lucas is you can't really tell what's going on. And maybe that adds to the, to the star Wars-ness, but like I was never quite sure where that sound came from. If it was supposed to be coming from Obi-Wan, if it was something the sand people were making, cause the sand people were just making crazy sounds and the Banthas made crazy sounds. It just kind of all went together. And, and I feel like most of my life I had no idea what was going on at that moment. It's it's like all of the a New Hope, Star Wars, whatever. It's like, what's going on? I don't know. You, I'm just following you through this thing. 
Yeah, there's something cool about you're just watching it and it's like, I don't know what's going on. I've seen this 75 times. I don't I couldn't tell you what's happening right now. <laughs> a bunch of robots and a bunch of googly eyes is what's happening. This guy is an alien and that guy's not. That's all I know. <laughs> so, okay, so that exists. It exists for 20 years. In 1997, the, the special edition comes out. Let's listen to the special edition version. Similar? The same thing? What do you think? It's pretty much the same. It's maybe a little bit louder. They really weren't, I don't think, able to do much with the sound mix for the 97 special edition because it really wasn't until, I think, the DVD in 2004 that they kind of remixed everything. So it's pretty much the same sound. It's interesting thinking about it, too, because... Yeah, in the 97 special edition, there were weird dialogue changes all over the place. Like, thanks, 3PO. But there really weren't, like, sound effect differences. But we did, like, when we did the, like, the mono mix episodes for the, the mono mix of A New Hope and Empire, there were variations in there, slight variations in sound effects. But it's it's crazy to think that if this is a sound that they just pulled off the shelf of an elephant or that was used sometimes for a dinosaur, that in some point in the VHS or the laser disc or something, they weren't like, well, we just need to do, let's just put this in. And we'd never know the difference. Well, I wonder if some of that is a, it was just harder to do big audio changes back then because everything wasn't digitized yet. Well, and that brings us to the 2004 DVD which had its own list of changes. I remember this was absolutely shocking because, again, it was like a kind of thing that's like the Crate Dragon call changes suddenly on this DVD version in 2004. It, you know, we're not special edition haters by any means, what shape at all. But I remember we were like, why? Why now? <laughs> well, and this, I think, was the beginning of realizing that these movies will always be changing because the special edition was kind of marketed and explained as, Hey, we're going to change a bunch of stuff. We're going to add some stuff. We're going to change some stuff. This is what we're going to do. Get ready. And we were ready and we loved it. And then the DVDs came out and we were kind of like, okay, cool. We're finally going to have DVDs of special editions. But this was the beginning of like, wait, they changed more stuff. They didn't really tell us, so we just have to like pay attention now <laughs> to see. Wait, what are these changes? Because I, this was reminding me of you know before YouTube, there were these split screen versions floating around that you could download or like find at a convention where somebody took like the laserdisc and the DVDs and like they put them on top of each other. Remember that? And you could, Oh yeah. And they like synced up every scene and you could watch them and actually see where the differences were and where audio was cut out and where scenes were added. And it was like, this is the most fascinating thing to me to just watch all these changes because there were so many and they were all kind of subtle. And yeah, other than, you know, like this crate dragon one was kind of in your face. And all of a sudden after all these years of hearing this weird sound, there was this new weird sound that may be the weirdest of all the crate dragon variations is the 20, uh, the 2004 version. Let's listen to the DVD version of the crate dragon call here. 
And what's crazy too is the specifics of the DVD changes, stuff like this, are just kind of lost to time because kind of like the 97 special edition, unless you've still got the DVDs, it's really hard to kind of figure out what was different in that that was different than the Blu-rays that was different from the 97 versions. Like what was this middle special edition where some things changed, some things weren't changed, some things changed again, some things flipped back. And earlier this week, I was going crazy because I was like, did anything change in the DVD version? I don't know because you can't easily check it without getting out your old DVDs. And this one to me is so extra wild and crazy because it sounds even less like a dragon and it sounds even less like a man. It sounds like this weird squeaking bird thing. And the only thing at the time that kind of made sense, which we now find out had nothing to do with it, was then a year afterwards when Revenge of the Sith came out and we heard the boga and then it was kind of like, oh, maybe Obi-Wan's trying to make a boga sound. <laughs> I'd watched the DVD so many times by the time Revenge of the Sith comes out. And I heard the boga for the first time. And I was like, you clever person, George Lucas. You were putting in a little Revenge of the Sith teaser into the A New Hope DVD. Yeah, that it's like Obi-Wan, yeah, like is using his ventriloquist skills and remembered his boga sound. And that's what he was imitating. But no, it had nothing to do with that. How do we know that? Because in for research this episode, we talked to Matthew Wood. <laughs> and even though we were convinced that it was a boga sound, we were wrong. <laughs> nothing to do with the boga. The 2004 DVD sound, according to Matthew Wood, is a combination of crows... And kookaburros, naturally, as, as you do. <laughs> when it doesn't make it any better, because in Rinsler's Amazing Sounds of Star Wars book, this sound doesn't exist. This sound is not in the book. The Sounds of Star Wars book talks about the 77 version, and what we're going to talk about in a minute here, the Blu-ray version. It completely skips over the crows and kookaburros, not the boga version. Yeah, the most they talk about it in the book, I think, is there's one sentence where it says an interim crow sound was first tried before Bert arrived and recorded wood and a chord in the parking lot. So that's the two, that's the 2004 version, the interim bird sounds. That was tried in the DVD that came out and everybody bought Multiple versions of it came out too, because there was the re the regular version, and then there was the version in the tins that came with the laserdisc version of the movies, and then I think there was another version where it was like individual movies or something. All of those had the interim bird sounds. Just a, just a placeholder. Or we know we're going to change it again. We're just putting this in here for now because we're not we're not ready yet. <laughs> we're just letting you know. Don't be surprised if this changes again. <laughs> That's where, I, like, earlier this week, I'm sitting in my basement looking at the, the sounds book and going crazy. Like, no, wait, the DVD was different. I remember it was different. I think I'd completely forgot about the sound of the 2004 one until we were researching this. And you sent me a, a video with all of them in it. And I was like, wait, I don't remember that sound at all. 
It's like I remembered it changed, but I had no memory of what it sounded like. And according to Matthew Wood, this sound, this crows and kookaburros sound, was figured out, locked in on August 17th, 2004, which is what, a matter of weeks before the DVD was on shelves. Yeah, which is incredible because I think, you know, it took two, three, four weeks for them to manufacture all the discs. So it was like literally, was this like the last day? Well, in the the Sounds of Star Wars book, this page is called The Last Sound. So I think that's what they mean, that this was the last sound they changed at the last minute for the 2004 DVDs, which would maybe explain why it got changed again, because the bird sounds just like flew out the door. (laughs) (laughs) Which... (laughs) <laughs> Which now, this brings us to the Blu-ray sound from 2011. <laughs> what is the story with the, this this Blu-ray sound? So the Blu-ray sound, they talk about a little bit in the Rinsler book here, about how Ben Burt had Matthew Wood and David Accord go to the parking lot behind the tech building. And in the book, Matthew Wood says, he sourced it from Dave and me yelling. We screamed and screamed. I was trying to model mine off this terrible cheesy element that I love from a Disneyland ride, the Haunted Mansion. Thanks to Matthew Wood, we have found the exact Disney 45 that he's referencing. It's called the Chilling Thrilling Disney Haunted House Sounds. High on a hilltop near your home, there stands a dilapidated old mansion. Some say the place is haunted, but you don't believe in such myths. You decide to investigate, and you never return. (laughs) Who knew that the Crate Dragon sound that is now on Disney Plus has a Haunted Mansion shout-out as part of its DNA. Maybe that was the uh, the secret ingredient that got the Disney sale through, that they realized that the Great Dragon Scream was a homage to classic Disney, and they just had to buy Star Wars just to get that new Great Dragon sound. And what's amazing, <laughs> too, is that in the Sounds of Star Wars book, there is just the raw Matt Wood and David Acord screams just in case you need to hear that now and according to matt wood too the blu-ray sound is the same basic premise as the dvd sound but with the crows and kookaburros taken out and with Matt Wood and Dave Acord screaming taken in. Let's play the 2004 DVD sound back-to-back with the Blu-ray sound. Let's, let's compare the two. Yeah, you know, if you think about it, okay... Yeah, because it it really is the, I guess it's the same kind of flow and 
timing. It's just grown men screaming instead of birds. And really, the you know the weirdest part of it is they added that kind of echoey effect. But maybe that's kind of you know simulating he's in a canyon and he's that's a canyon crate dragon sound and 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 the echo just makes it scarier to the to the sand people but you know it is it's one of those things that on its own maybe it's weird maybe they didn't need to make this change but i do feel like it makes more sense like it sounds like i'm it sounds like an old man yelling in a canyon which is what it's supposed to be as opposed to some weird dinosaur sound that just happens to happen because you don't see Obi-Wan's mouth moving. Like you don't, cause you know, not only thinking about it, I think as a kid, he's like waving his arms, like, cause he's like off balance. Maybe I thought he was like casting a spell or maybe he was just waving his arms and that's what scared him away. <laughs> so I don't know. Having a human voice screaming, I think it, it works better, but it doesn't make it any less weird. And then finally, in The Mandalorian Season 2, like we were talking about, we see our first actual crate dragon in live-action Star Wars, a living crate dragon. And again, according to Matthew Wood, Favreau and Filoni wanted to honor both versions. So they wanted a little bit of the 77, Sam Shaw elephant stock sound effect, and the crazy Blu-ray version, which also has its roots in the, the crows and kookaburros version. And you can kind of hear both of them during that season two, episode one, episode, the Marshall during the crate dragon scenes. makes sense too because it's like the same thing of like which came first the bones or the call which was the crate it's all at once it's all just it just happening all at the same time and that's kind of like a lot of like when the mandalorian does what you know the dirty word fan service you know when when they do shout outs to crazy things it's like we're taking everything from everything it's not just the blu-ray call there's a little bit of 77 in there there's probably maybe who knows the dvd crate dragon call in there too in a show with so many just like incredible moments and incredible mixes of old star wars and new star wars and middle star wars and future star wars that yeah the mixing of the sounds i don't know it's just the most clever thing they could have done and it just makes it Perfect. And wasn't Matt Wood also saying that some of the sand people in Mandalorian are kind of making crate dragon calls a little bit too? So it's almost like not only are we hearing the crate dragon make its sound, it's kind of mixed in with sand people doing their own crate dragon calls, which is what Kenobi probably based his his great dragon call 
maybe on the versions that sand people would do to call crate dragons. So it's all a mix between people sounding like crate dragons and crate dragons sounding like crate dragons. So now all we need is a crate dragon that tries to sound like a person and it's all it's all complete at that point. I I want a crate dragon to come out of the sand. Hello there. <laughs> Me, crate dragon. Oh, that's how the crate dragon scares people away. <laughs> Crate Dragon is a great example of uh, John, uh, once again, taking something from the original films that's kind of obscure and then elevating it to be this big centerpiece. So taking something we only glimpsed as bones in New Hope and fleshing it out and making it into the big bad creature of episode one. And then, you know, Doug's group did an amazing job of designing the thing and figuring out well, what does this thing actually look like when it's in its prime. It was a huge challenge because John really raised the bar in terms of the design. He challenged us to really come up with spectacle that would fit within the box of what we were given. We saw skeletons of it, and it was just the head and the neck. How do we extrapolate that to create our dragon? It's all, you know, hidden. It's all sort of sleight of hand because we never see the full dragon. It's always hidden. And it's kind of like the shark in Jaws. It's the less you reveal of it, the better it is, the more mysterious it is, the more powerful the design is. Okay, so now we have heard all of the on-screen crate Dragon calls. Most of them, anyways. There's, there's some in video games that we didn't even... We can't even get into that stuff. But now it's time to listen to the crate Dragon calls that you folks, the listeners, submitted to us to play. Yeah, what better way to celebrate the sound of a human trying to sound like a giant dragon than hearing more humans trying to sound like giant dragons if there's any sand people hanging out in your neighborhood in your house let them know it's not a real crate dragon so they don't get scared <laughs> it's, it's, you know that's just looking out that's just kindness it's like anakin says the greatest problem in this universe is nobody helps each other yeah tell your tuscan friends tell your pets warn your loved ones there's gonna be some dragon calls they're not real but they might be scary Here's our first one from Vicente. Hello, Blast Points. This is Vicente Vegas from Spain, and I would like to. Not again. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. A trick an old friend taught me to get rid of those Tuscans, so. Uh, I don't like to do this, but they're like animals. Bye. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, amazing. That's pretty good. That's very good, actually. That's not pretty good. That's very good. <laughs> All right. Here is the next one from listener Jacopo. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Wow. That's... All right. Oh, boy. Yeah. I, I almost hit under the desk. Okay. Up next, we got Angel. Let's hear it. Hi, Jason and Gabe. This is Angel de Jorge from La Fossa del Rancor Podcast, Rancor's Pit Podcast, and from the Ben Bird's deepest nightmare, here I leave my scream. Sorry in advance. 
Enthusiasts. Uh, I can't wait for your show. I'm sure it's going to be a blast. Okay, this is the end. Bye bye. This. <laughs> oh my god, these are all so good. They had a Jim Gillette element to it with, with the with the build up. <laughs> I, I I never made the connection in my mind of the Great Dragon scream and the Jim Gillette scream from Machine Gun Eddie, but yes, it was there <laughs> all along, and we didn't we didn't know. <laughs> That's how you really you scare the Tuscans. You get Jim Gillette to come out. Ben Burt. Actually, I used, uh, I sourced uh, from Jim Gillette from the band Nitro. <laughs> yeah. The album OFR, if you haven't heard it. All right. Our next Crate Dragon call is from Steve and Henry. <laughs> There's something special about a two-man Crate Dragon call, which, you know. We found out is the how the how the new one w- came about. So you got to get those two voices. It's like a harmony. Speaking of team crate dragon calls and a harmony, our next one is from Chris and Ashton. Hello, blast points. This is Ashton and my dad here, and Hello. we're going to try and do our best quiet dragon calls. All right, Ashton, you first. <laughs> Okay, here's mine. <laughs> of course, we didn't have any Ben Burke trickery like echo and reverb on there, so hope you like it. Thanks, Blast Points. <laughs> that was like a little Crate Dragon family, like out, out on a picnic. It was awesome. Let's hear it with a little bit of a uh, little bit of echo. Let's let's see what let's see what happens. The next one, actually, the next pair of them are from Nick, and uh, he calls it a choose your crate adventure. And one is from the what based on the seventy seven, and what was the other one based on? The bounty hunter game, the Django Fett game that came out uh, before Attack of the Clones, <laughs> and uh, Gardula the Hut in that game had a crate dragon that Django had to fight. Let's hear the 77 version first from Nick. My name is Nick, and this is my version of the 1977 Crate Dragon Call. Thank you. That's amazing. Still, still dipping into that Jim Gillette. It's funny, I just, I just yeah, again, that I just never made the the Jim Gillette Crate Dragon connection until we're now hearing normal humans trying to recreate it. Let's uh, let's hear this uh, bounty hunter game version here. Let's see what that's like. My name is Nick, and this is my version of the Crate Dragon call, inspired by Gardula's pet Crate Dragon from the Star Wars Bounty Hunter video game. <laughs> Thank you. That's incredible. That's incredible. I, I hope you're. I hope you're okay after that, Nick. <laughs> oh yeah, you need you need some cough syrup. Okay, and in closing it out, we've got Allison and Stephanie, and let's hear Allison's first. Hey, blast points. 
This is Allison here to submit my take on the crate dragon call. So here we go. That's it. That's it. That's <laughs> wonderful. All right. And here is Stephanie. Let's check it out. This is our final one. Hey, Blast Points. This is Stephanie, and this is my crate dragon sound. Wow! <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs> See, now I think if we combined those two, that might be a winner right there. And you know what? We can do that. (laughs) 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 No, let's do something too. Let's combine Stephanie and Allison's with the Ben Burt, Dave Acord, raw scream sounds. (laughs) Maybe a little bit of reverb just for seasoning. Now let's do Stephanie and Allison, the Ben Burt, Dave Acord, Scream Sounds, and Jim Gillette. <laughs> I, think we've, I think we've made the ultimate Crate Dragon sound there. I, I think we're realizing why this was the last sound to go out the door in 2004, because those guys are having way too much fun <laughs> mixing and matching to try to get a Crate Dragon sound that they just ran out of time. Well, Gabe, what have we learned today in this uh, very important episode of Blast Points? Dragon Sound Crate. I think that that sums it up. Land of the Jawas that you put together. Action figures sold separately. You can move the action lever and make the Jawa capture R2-D2. R2, are you all right? What are they doing to you? You can raise the elevator and make R2-D2 disappear into the sand crawler. Hang on, R2. I'm right behind you. Me too. (laughs) Kenner's new Star Wars Land of the Jawas. Action figures each sold separately. What's up, Jason and Gabe? It's uh, Taylor Gray, uh, excuse me, Ezra Bridger here, Spectre 6, uh, reporting into Blast Points Podcast. Just wanted to say what's up, and uh, may the force be with you. See you guys. points too accurate for sand people only imperial stormtroopers are so precise okay 
folks, you know the deal. With Apple Podcast Reviews, we say it every week. If you're listening to this on some some sort of Apple something, go over there, write a little something nice about the show. Not only does it help the show in the weird charts on Apple Podcasts, but it brings warm feelings to our hearts, and we will get around to reading all of your reviews on an upcoming episode. And make sure you check out our website, blastpointspodcast.com, home of the handy search feature if you're trying to find a particular back episode and make sure you're following us on twitter instagram and facebook and if you are on facebook you better be in our super chill group and we want to support the show in a different way we have got the blast points army on patreon where we are doing weekly bad batch review episodes they're pretty amazing if you haven't been checking them out already the show and our episodes are both amazing And we've got to give a big shout out to all the new members of the Blast Points Army. So a huge, huge thank you to Nathan, Carter, Aaron, Danan, and Wes. Thank you so much for signing up and to everyone on the Blast Points Army, everyone in there. Hope you're enjoying all the bonus stuff. And we thank you so, so very much for your support. Yeah, thank you, everybody. And yeah, we just had a new Bad Batch episode up last Saturday, and there will be a new one up next Saturday. But that about wraps up number 269 here. I don't know. I think it's one of our greatest hits. Everyone was very creative with their interpretations. Yes. Thank you, everyone, for sending all those in again. It's just amazing. Yeah. We couldn't have done it without you. For real this time. We're not just saying it. So, all right, folks. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. Goodbye.